Hi everyone, welcome back to What's the Crime with Gronya and Gemma. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. I was daydreaming there, your voice bored me so much. Oh, <laughs> well prepared for some more. <laughs> so today's case, we are talking about um, a case that happened in the 1980s, um, actually in Nottinghamshire in the UK. So on the 30th of October, 1983, Colette Aram was walking to her boyfriend's house in Keyworth, Nottinghamshire. So this was like a beautiful, quiet area. It's located about six miles outside the centre of Nottingham. And the population was relatively small at that time. You know, sort of, you know, one of those places everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Considered a very like safe home. area. Like home, exactly. Yeah. So Colette wanted to become a nurse. Her mother said that she was such a caring girl that it was such a natural progression for her to want to do such a worthy job. Um, oh, could you pick it up anymore? <laughs> I'm also such a caring girl, so I understand. Franya is a nurse. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't know if she may be caring towards other people. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so Colette, well, that was what the progression she wanted to go down. At 15, she discovered she wasn't allowed to study until she was 18. So she actually decided she would follow in her mum's footsteps and become a hairdresser like her mum. So her aunt and her uncle, May and Ken, they actually decided to buy the local hairdressing salon as it was going out of business and they wanted to secure Colette's future. Okay, what a nice auntie and uncle. So I know this... So I read a book that was written by Colette's mother and she basically describes that they were extremely close to the family, that uh, when they realised that the hairdressing salon was going out of business, Colette was extremely upset and they really wanted to do something. They had no children of their own and Colette and her older brother Mark were sort of the closest thing that they had to children of their own. So it was a really kind gesture, but they were extremely close. Okay. She was extremely close to her family. She was the shining light of her parents' life and she had a wonderful relationship with her older brother, Mark. So it was the day before Halloween, 30th of October, 1983, a glorious, crisp Sunday morning. So that evening, Colette decided she would go and visit her boyfriend, Russell. So they had been dating for about eight months. He was 17, a year older than Colette. But he was, you know, kind, he was gentle, and her mother said he was the type of boy that every mother would sort of want for their daughter. Okay. So he would normally drive over and pick Colette up, but his car was actually at the garage that evening. So at 7.45pm, she set off walking to his house. So she told her parents she was going to walk via Nicker Hill. It was the main hill leading through the village. It had quite a steep incline, but it was, you know, very well lit and it would it would be busy and it would take her approximately about 10 minutes to get to Russell's house. Okay. So at 8.10 p.m., Russell called their house phone. He said that, you know, where's Colette? I thought she was walking to my house via Nicker Hill and Jackie, who was Colette's mum, she answered and she was like, well, yeah, she's already set off. Like, that's the route that she said she was going to take. And Russell said, well, you know, I've been cycling around the entire village looking for her and I can't find her. So in that instant, Jackie knew that something was wrong and she felt sick in the pit of her stomach. 
Colette hated other people worrying about her. She would have phoned to let her parents know if she had stopped off anywhere. She wouldn't want people to be worrying about where she was. So Jackie, straight off the bat, picks up a phone and dials 999. Okay, so this is completely out of character if she's dialing 999. Completely. Like, you know, she, the police, obviously, on the other hand, they, they are like, look, we don't share your concern. Yeah. And... They advise Jackie that if she's not home by 10pm to give them another call. So Tony, which is Colette's father, and Jackie, her mother, they're both sick with worry and they set out to look for her. So it's clearly completely out of the ordinary yeah. because you wouldn't start to worry really that soon. That soon. So by 9.30pm, they couldn't wait any longer and they called the police again. So... The police at this time, you know, they, they did sort of, they sent out officers, they sent out sniffer dogs, but it was so dark at this point that they decided to resume in the morning. Obviously, Colette's parents were beside themselves and they knew something was wrong. They sort of stayed out. They were going to continue to look for her all night. Oh, they knew that she wouldn't want someone worrying about her. Yeah. And she would have somehow made contact yeah. if she got, you know, if anything came up. When dawn broke, Colette's brother, Mark, was driving past a nearby field about a mile and a half from their home on the outskirts of Keyworth when he spotted striped blue duct tape that the police had erected, which he knew indicated a crime scene. He jumped from the car, ran towards the police, and there in that field lay Colette's frail, naked body bruised, battered and dead. She had been strangled and her body had been arranged in a sickeningly sexually explicit pose. Oh my God. Aimed to shock and horrify anyone that was to come across her. And her brother came across that her like randomly. brother. So she had been found by a passerby at approximately 9am who had made the call to police. Her blouse and her bra had been tied around her wrists. So her family, absolutely oh, heartbroken. Can't, you can't even imagine that heartbreak. The, the, so traumatic. And especially for her actual brother to see her like that. He actually saw her. He's, <gasps> he's seen her body. Like, you know, to see your sibling lying there Not, so Well, that's just, like, that's something you will never, never ever, forget. ever get over. So her mum actually wrote a book uh, called Justice for Colette, which I read. And the, the pain... She describes so detailed, you know, she she herself had to be sedated. Oh, she couldn't my goodness. eat. Like, it was so, so distressing, of course. And their nightmare had only just begun. So the police did have a lead. A car had been stolen from an area five miles south of Nottingham. The red Ford Fiesta had been taken at around 4.30pm that night. A resident in the area where Colette had walked also heard what he described as female screams at around 8.14pm. He looked out his window at that time when he heard those screams and saw a Ford Fiesta driving off at high speed with a loud screech. Two days after the murder, a landlady from the generous Brighton pub in the nearby village of Costock had telephoned the police to inform them of a suspicious man that had come in and got a lemonade and orange drink and a sandwich at around 9pm on the night of the murder. So she, she said that she 
sort of didn't really know him, didn't recognize him. She knew that he wasn't from the area. And, you know, she just making conversation, asking him about what business he had in the area. And she said that his story was a bit muddled. He was acting a bit strange. But, you know, what he did say sort of indicated that he had some local knowledge of the area. He talked about certain areas he was visiting. And that's when she noticed that he had blood stains on his hand. And when he seen her looking down at his hands, he hastily jumps up and asks where the toilet is to go and wash his hands. So how observant is that woman? Exactly. Like, and she probably didn't think too much of it that night. Until she heard of the murder. Until she heard. And then, you know, um, that sort of indicated that he was suspicious at the very least. Yeah. So um, on hearing this information, the police go directly to the pub. They retrieve all of the paper towels from the waste bin. They are sent for, t- thankfully they weren't, you know, um, dumped at that point. Oh they my, weren't yeah, gone. Yeah. They were sent for testing. So they found the tiles with the blood on all it? Of the to- well, all of the tiles were sent for testing. Okay. And on one of them, uh, tested positive for Colette's blood. Oh my God. So 100% was this guy. So they had their guy. And they also found foreign DNA on it as well, which was semen. So that's oh. when the man had washed his hands. So they know. The and then he goes and casually orders a lemonade and a friggin' sandwich. Literally, without a care in the world. <gasps> so the man that killed Colette had just gone into this pub and was like, can I have a sandwich? Ugh. 17 days later, so just over two weeks later, after the murder, a bizarre letter was sent to the police. This letter claimed to be from the murderer. You know people that send these sort of letters that are just sort of nothing to do with the crime. They're like, yeah, I'm the murderer. I, yeah. don't, I will never understand people the mind like frame, that. how you could do that. But the more you read up on all these, you just realise there are so many strange, 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 strange people, people in the world. Like, not even murderers or anything. Like, not, nothing to do with crime. Just people that... Would, like would do these things. Stuff like that. Like, yeah. why would you do that? Anyway, there was actually details in this letter that led the police to believe that it was genuine. So, it's sort of... Um, Details about the murder that no one would have known. So the letter had been received in the Huntington Street sorting office at 3.15pm on Thursday the 17th of December. So this meant that it it could have been posted in any post box in the city or county of Nottingham. It was written in this sort of weird style. So every S in the letter was written as an exclamation mark. Okay. It said that, quote, I was hiding in a hut for hours, waiting for a girl to finish horse riding. No one saw me, unquote. So police felt like this was probably true because right where that Ford Fiesta was stolen on that day, there was a small hut nearby and there was girls um, on horseback, you know, riding on their horses nearby. And they also found a rag with semen on it in that hut, oh, uh. indicating someone had actually been there and was watching, watching the girls. girls. When the car came with keys, I could not help but take it. Again, this is where the red Ford Fiesta okay. was stolen. No one knows what I look like. Well, he obviously didn't know that at this point the police had identified that he had been in that pub. So the barmaid had seen him and she agreed to help them, you know... Uh, Conduct a sketch. Of them. Yes, a sketch is what I was trying to say. And, you know, they brought in a hypnotist so that she could recall the brief encounter in minute detail. And she provided them with lots of information. And um, other neighbourhood 
people, girls actually came forward to describe the man as well because they informed the police that they had actually been stopped and approached by a man driving a red Ford Fiesta on that day. So he was just looking for some random girl. He was. He was... He spent three hours that evening following young girls and trying to pick them up. One girl that was out walking her dog said that he stopped her and asked her for directions. But the place that he was looking for, he had literally just pulled out of that street. So he literally just seen a sign and was like, can you tell me where this is? Weirdo. And the police think that because no one was voluntarily getting into the car with him, that's when he resorted to forcing Colette into the vehicle. This would coincide with the female screams that the resident heard and also that she had sustained a head injury. The letter continued. I go soon and you will never get me. I know I strangled her when a car passed. She would have got me caught. She was not dead when I left her. Maybe the cold killed her. Oh, maybe the cold killed her. Like, like what? Piss off. It finished by saying, to show it was me... Did she wear a blouse? In all of the press reports, she had been described as naked when she was discovered. So only the police, her family, the and the killer tied around her wrist. That knew about that blouse tied around her wrist. Like what a like, and like why write that letter? Like people are sick, sick. Like it was almost just to taunt them even yeah, more after yeah. everything that they. It's like oh, through. I haven't done enough. Let's just do a little bit more, like and tease them. And tell them that I'm still here. Yeah. And it's so, it's just so, so awful. Like he's almost like he's proud of himself. And yeah. What he's done. So, you know, they never actually, there was, they never found him. On the 7th of June, 1984, which was eight months later, the case was featured on BBC's Crime Watch. In fact, it was actually the very first case ever to be aired on Crime Watch. It was a newly launched series at the time based on a highly successful German TV show called, well, when it was translated, it was called Unsolved. So I watched the reenaction of that night online as well. Um, so even though it was 1984, they reenacted it extremely well. And the show received 400 calls via tips after that aired. And the police had to sieve through all of these tips. And just as we were talking about, you know, earlier about people, um, you know, sending letters and stuff and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. A woman rang in crying and she kept hanging up saying that she knew who'd done it. And the, the the police were obviously interested in talking to her. And it turns out that she was just a woman scorned and wanted to, you know, blame it on her ex because she was angry with him. What is wrong with people? Like that, this family are going through hell here. How could you do that? The strain on their marriage, Jackie and Tony, was too much for them to bear. Tony was a quiet man and he carried his grief tucked away, whereas Jackie grieved openly and deeply. She wanted to talk about Colette all the time and keep her memory alive, whereas that was very painful for Tony and it caused them to separate and file for divorce in 1984. Like, this is so... Dealing with this just broke up their family. Mm. It was so much for them to 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 deal with. And time passed and Colette's case, unfortunately, grew cold. Like, there were so many tips at the start. It seemed so positive, like, they were closing in on the killer. And, you know, he, he was just and like, they found. have his blood. They have, or not, his, his semen. Yeah. So. They have a description of what he looks like and they just never find him. Nope. And the the heartbreak was immense for the family, like. Jackie sort of focused on 
campaigns to reintroduce capital murder in the hopes that one day she would see her daughter's killer hang. Also, she was getting phone calls um, to her house and they just would be like someone breathing down the phone what? and they never really figured out who it was. Who it was and she believes that it was the, the murderer. Person. Yeah. What? And she was angry, terrified, of all course. these, everything. Heartbroken. So, like I said, time passed and then in 2004, almost 21 years after Colette's murder, without any new leads on the case, it was Crime Watch's 20th anniversary. So they suggested that a new peel for Colette's killer could help. Now, Jackie and Tony would do anything. You know, although they didn't really want to admit it, 21 years later, they had started to lose heart that he would ever be caught. And again, like last time, the calls flooded in between 300 and 400 in total, but there was no sort of strong leads. Now, the police had retained all the DNA evidence connected to Colette's case, and it was looked at again in 2004, and they were able to produce a full DNA profile from the offender from the paper towel that had been discarded in the generous Brighton pub. Then, in June 2008... A young man called Jean Paul Hutchinson was arrested due to a motor offence. Routine DNA samples were taken and, shockingly, the DNA was almost a complete match to the foreign DNA found in Colette's cold case in 1983. What? Was it him? The only problem was he was only 20 years old. So he wasn't even born at the time? He wasn't even born at the time of Colette's murder. So... Uh, taken this fact into consideration, his father and his two uncles were arrested. Two of the brothers were cooperative, but one kept saying no comment. Was this his father? Yes, and this man was Paul Hutchinson. After taking DNA samples from all three men, after 25 years, police had their man. <gasps> Who was it? The Paul father? Paul Hutchinson. Oh my God. He tried to blame... The crime on their dead brother, Gerald, who had been cremated only a few months earlier. But Gerald's DNA was still on record from hospital visits and he was ruled out. Oh, well, he is just evil, evil, evil. Exactly. This had been one of the biggest and longest murder hunts in the history of Nottinghamshire police. It transpired that he had actually lived in Keyworth all this time. He had a wife and four children. He had married back in 1978 and had a child. Then he had met his second wife and divorced his first wife and married his second wife in 1983, just 10 months before he killed Colette. Oh my God. So to sort of account for time missing and, and stuff from home, he apparently had faked a cancer diagnosis to account for like where he'd been and... So like when he was going and watching girls and stuff? Yeah. So he could have like picked up other girls that we don't know of or... Well, we, have, we don't know of. You know, his DNA was never found in any okay. other crime scenes. And um, so he would, they would be like, oh, you know, we'll take you to your appointments for your treatment of your cancer. And he would be like, oh, just drop me at the door. Like, I'm so brave. I, I'll go in by myself. Oh, you are a hero. He was employed as a railway engineer and then later worked with children with special needs. Oh my gosh. So Colette's family got the news. Her mother, who was living in Greece at this time, was, you know, she 
her, she was shaking getting this news. Like it had been twenty five years. She had dreamed of this moment. They for probably so long. lost hope. Okay, they, they had lost hope, and out. they, you know, she was thrilled. She really was because it had taken so much out of their lives, yeah, out of their family, and the man that had so cruelly taken their daughter's life all those years before, and then taunted them about it. Yeah, was finally caught. He pleaded guilty at Nottingham Crown Court in December 2009 and was jailed for a minimum of 25 years. This is what gets me is these men that are living a complete double life. Like he's married with kids. Yeah. It's and that his poor family. And how could he do that to another family? Like it's completely beyond comprehension. I know. I know. And like his poor kids, like, you know, I know. Imagine finding that information out about what he'd done. Just nine months into his sentence, he was found unconscious in his cell. He was taken to hospital, but died in the ambulance on the way there. His daughter Hannah told the inquest that he became more and more depressed after his wife obviously decided to divorce him. He was getting medications in box sets and he had actually previously been caught hoarding pills in a sock and... You know, his daughter said that he'd asked his wife to come and meet him in prison the day before he died, but she did not attend the meeting. And he had obviously been hoarding his medications again and, you know, took his own life by overdosing on the medication. And Colette's family were just distraught again. I f- they, they felt that that they were finally getting some sort of justice for Colette and they felt like that it was just taken away again, almost as if they wanted him to live with what he'd done. Yeah, and in prison. In prison and, and feel remorse and, you know, know what he'd done to their family. But, yep. you know, they just felt like that was taken away from them. So after all of those years of waiting for Colette's killer to be caught, The solace that Colette's family have is that at least Paul Hutchinson can hurt nobody else. Okay guys, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of What's the Crime? And we will see you again next week for a brand new episode. See ya.